0: Okay, before we kick off today's episode, I have a cheeky favour to ask any creative who might be listening. If you love big ideas and would like to come to Sydney to work for the world's most awarded audio specialist agency, please drop me a line at ralph We're expanding and we'd love to hear from you. Now on with Don't Judge Me. Hello, welcome to Don't Judge Me. I'm Ralph Van Dyke and today's guest is Rosie Jakob. Co-founder of the nomadic strategy and innovation consultancy, Genius Steals. Rosie travels the world with her partner in life, Faris Jakob, working with brands, agencies, and startups on new communication ideas, new product concepts, and new ways of thinking.
1: We always say you can't invent without inventory. And so we're constantly gathering inventory of experiences and, you know, getting to explore and be nosier, be curious about other people's cultures.
0: You'll hear some great insights about how they work and also advice on how to value yourself from the get-go. When
1: we're hiring people and we make an offer to someone, if they don't come back with a offer, I almost wonder, Did I, are we reaching out to, are we hiring the right person? Because I want someone to come back and push me and say, like, I'm, I believe I'm worth more, I want more from this.
0: Now, being as nomadic as Rosie is, it was pretty hard to pin her down for an interview. So what you're about to hear is Rosie answering my written questions from some exotic Italian villa. I added my bits in later so you don't get lost. My first question was a tricky one for her to answer because... I wanted to know what her typical day looks like.
1: So a typical day for me is pretty hard to outline. So Genius Deals is a nomadic consultancy. So the last time I had a physical home base was March of 2013. I worked at 360i in New York City. Um, And since then, my partner and I have spent our, uh, yeah, the past five years traveling and working with brands and agencies and companies all over the world. Um, So, we try to work 20 hours a week and spend the rest of the time exploring and cultivating personal projects and things we're interested in so that we're able to be inspired for the client work. A lot of the work that we do are workshops and training and speaking gigs. Um, so that that's probably 60% of our of our work are those types of things. So we're not always on, we're not constantly creating um we're you know we always say you can't invent without inventory and so we're constantly gathering inventory of experiences and you know getting to explore and be nosier be curious about other people's cultures uh so that then when we do have those intense bursts of work those one week sprints um we are ready and available to do so
0: Genius Steals is not your regular agency setup, so is there a downside to the way you guys work?
1: As a co-founder of a company, you know, you take on financial risk and cash flow, we hire people, and we trust that clients are going to pay us. And for the most part, they do, but sometimes they don't. And there's not a whole lot of support system in place if clients don't pay you. I mean, I'm sure it's even worse for freelancers, but even with the most watertight contracts, You know, clients can just not pay, and you're there, and you know, taking clients to court is not something that anyone wants to do. But beyond that, it's really not, you know, financially worth its while to do that. That's something that is unfortunate about the setup, at least in the American system. Um, Of course, I will say, like, the you know, you want to pick clients anyway that you think will pay, you just <laughs> never know, I guess, up up front if they will.
0: So if you were starting out today, would you still want a job in advertising?
1: Absolutely. I think I, I wanted to be an a pop artist when I first was studying in school and I thought you know I could be the next Warhol or Liechtenstein, except that it turns out that my artistic craft is not super up to par and I think Warhol got it right though, you know, having an impact on culture, moving the needle of pop culture. You can do this by working in advertising and working with brands and the big brands have, have the money. I mean, I think. You know, when I worked at Translation, the agency started by Jay-Z and Steve Stout, this was one of the things they realized. They are like, look, the music industry, they don't have a ton of money. Like, Will Smith was making more from his Ray-Ban sponsorship than he was from having the number one hit single, Mint from the Men in Black. So I firmly believe that, you know, we have this amazing opportunity to impact culture. And I, I, I love the idea that we get to, to move that needle.
0: So what would you do if you weren't working in advertising?
1: You know, it's a great question. I love what I do. So I'm hesitant to answer the question because I feel like it's a cop-out in the sense of I don't want to have an exit strategy. My biggest accomplishment is building a life that I love. Um, as we say, make your life your life's work. You know, you your life's work In my opinion, it shouldn't be an ad because that's always going to be a blip on the radar. It should be cultivating a life that you're happy with and proud of. Um, That being said, I guess with, you know, the nomadic nature, one of the things that has been a really interesting shift has been building a distributed community because having friends all over the world is just that, having friends all over the world. Having a distributed community means actually, um, it means actually like, making sure those people, those people that you meet are interacting with each other. So we host, um, you know, for example, every year in December, we host a whiskey weekend uh, where we invite 30 people down to Tennessee for a whiskey tasting. There's no work involved, but certainly some of the people are clients and or partners and or just other creators alongside um, or just random people that we have met um, through our travels and through our work. So I really enjoyed that. I love getting to bring people together and, uh, you know, all the, having that sort of branding and advertising background. I also love the swag creation and getting to, you know, make physical things, uh, for their friend, our friends and stuff. So I guess maybe like having some sort of creative space, retreat space, or running some, some sort of event thing. That's very not set in stone but something along those lines that would allow me to bring cool people together in interesting places um, to for the the play hard part of work hard play hard
0: okay what's the piece of advice you'd give yourself if you were starting over today
1: Oof. That's a tough one, but I would say there are probably two things. Um, The first thing, just especially being a woman and now being in a position where I'm hiring other women, I realize so often how little um, women fight for themselves. And when you are earning money often early in your career, you know, the bigger number you start with the higher number you can get to eventually a large percentage of a small number is still a small number so i would certainly advocate for myself earlier on and um, encourage other young people to do the same Um, i think the second thing is just to make friends with people outside of advertising so much of The work that I've done, the work that I'm excited by has come from a breadth of input and from interests, a breadth of um, different kinds of people and diversity. I think that sometimes we get stuck in these loops of inspiration from other advertising. And that's certainly one way to look at it. But I love getting to work with so many people who are only dipping their hands into advertising. So I like that.
0: What piece of work are you most proud of?
1: <laughs> I, my proudest piece of work, you know, early on, I was helping to launch Motorola's global social media presence. This was my second job after graduating from the University of Georgia. And I was a community manager and social strategist. It was the Wild West. We were still trying to figure things out. And my, one of my friends worked at Vimeo and which was part of College Humor. And he had invited me to a College Humor live show where I got to see a uh, freestyle rap group called Freestyle Love Supreme, which featured Lin-Manuel Miranda, who obviously has written, directed, and starred in Hamilton, um, and In the Heights, and also, less known but bring it on, the musical as well. And yeah, I this was the time when Samsung had hired the Black Eyed Peas to put on a free concert in Times Square. And that was considered to be an influencer event. Yet, when we looked back through the data, just very, very few people had associated that free show with Samsung at all. Um, there were just no mentions whatsoever. And thinking about the Motorola influencer event, you know, we were giving out these Motorola Droid phones, but the iPhone was the real hit of. The time. So we knew that it was going to be an uphill battle to get digital influencers to talk about us. And, um, you know, we had these great ideas. We were working with this event team and we were putting on this influencer dinner in this penthouse apartment in New York. Um, we had these amazing firm to table chefs. And of course, we had these free droid phones, but we were trying to figure out what the hook would be, what we could do to get people to talk about this. And so um, after having gone to the College Humor Live show, I actually suggested that maybe we bring in Lin-Manuel Miranda and um, his crew of Freestyle Love Supreme to to do a freestyle rap about all of the influencers because... I mean, I think this is true. We're all a little bit narcissistic, but influencers at the time, especially, you know, people want to write about themselves. And so we had a projector. We pulled up the uh, the tweet streams of all of these influencers and the guys from Freestyle Love Supreme did these freestyle raps. And of course, all of our influencers were uh, videoing these and putting it up on their blogs. And, you know, we also stipulated, look, we don't care about uh, you, you keeping the droid phones like instead why don't you give them away so all in all it ended up being a great hit for our client and you know after uh, seeing In the Heights and after having seen Hamilton of course like getting to have worked with having worked with Lin-Manuel Miranda in like 2009 was pretty cool
0: and the piece of work that still haunts you to this day?
1: There's been plenty of mediocre work that um, I've been a part of. So I would say no work that haunts me, but certainly have been a part of mediocre work that I'm not, you know, singing about from the rooftops.
0: Okay, now getting on to judging. How do you approach judging award shows like Leah?
1: Well, this is actually my first time judging the Leas in particular. So I'm not sure what our criteria will be. Since I'm on the new jury, one of the things that we are striving to think about is what kind of work do we want to see in the industry? So I imagine certainly one of the criteria will be is this the kind of work we want to see more of? Um, I personally am very interested in efficacy and while I don't think it's always a defining um, characteristic in creative award shows, it certainly is important to our clients and that would be something that I'm also looking for. But I'm really looking forward to the discussions with other people on my jury. We have a lot of great representation um, not just from CCOs. So it will be interesting to see how we kind of define that early on.
0: And what would you say makes winning a Leah valuable?
1: I think that awards are advertising for the advertising industry, right? So we, we obviously believe in the power of advertising or else we wouldn't work in it. And we have to advertise our own work and we have to have that directional compass that tells us what we want to see more of. Uh, it's you know amazing to to be a part of the Leas because unlike Can there are these smaller juries. There's this higher caliber of industry leaders because they're not just um, going for as many as possible. I mean, on the new jury specifically, it's been fun because. While we have the amazing Susan Credle leading it, we also have people from technology companies or myself from a creative consultancy. Um, I'm not directly involved in writing and concepting ads in the traditional sense. So getting to have these diverse inputs, I think leads to more interesting outputs.
0: What kind of work would you like to see from the next generation of creatives?
1: I think that we... Can do work that you know adds value to not just the brands but to culture overall. I'm not saying that every brand needs to have a political point of view, um, but you know, for example, even just thinking about the Me Too movement and how we represent women in ads. Um, you know, not having them be the ones who are always doing the car pickups, not the ones who are always in the kitchen making. The meal when the dad comes home walking through the door on the mobile phone. Like there are ways that we can challenge societal norms or to create new ones. So I think that's something that I'm really excited about. I'm already seeing it, and I just think that we have an opportunity to take that to the next level. And I think, you know, we probably see it even more in the US, but in countries like I got to speak at a um, Goa Fest in India. And, you know, the female representation and ads there is just, it's really, really far behind what what we see. I mean, having said that, you know, you have a Dove campaign for real beauty and then you have the Unilever brand Axe who has these women um in bikinis acting out some sort of like I think it was rugby rules and they're like on one hand trying saying oh yeah we're a brand that we're super supportive of women and we want people to feel great about themselves and then with another brand in their portfolio just totally objectifying women um for the sake of you know making money so I hope that We can hold brands accountable more and that the people who are, you know, a part of creating this work are holding their brands accountable more and speaking up and making sure to bring all these diverse viewpoints to the table so that it's not someone going like, you know, yeah, this is a great idea as an older white male um, talking about how to market, you know, something that is going to be more targeted towards women and that sort of thing.
0: What qualities do you look for in up and coming creative talent?
1: I mean, everyone says curiosity, but I really believe it's super important just because it's really hard to teach. You can teach craft, you can refine craft. Um, Some people might be more naturally talented than others when it comes to certain elements of craft, but I think it's really hard to teach someone to be curious. Um, So that's something that I certainly look for. um, Someone who's going to advocate for themselves. I, you know, when we're hiring people and we make an offer to someone, if they don't come back with a counteroffer, I almost wonder, are we hiring the right person? Because I want someone to come back and push me and say, like, I believe I'm worth more. I want more from this.
0: Have you had to let many people go? And if so, how do you approach it?
1: I mean... Firing's hard. I directly have not had to specifically fire someone. I've been in the decision-making process of firing people and, um, you know, firing is different than letting go. It's not like we've lost an account and... Someone's like, "Oh, if that's the case, then I'm all about like I want to help them succeed and figure out, you know, where's the next place for them." Firing like maybe I guess three people that I've had to be involved in the firing of. It's never it's never really fun, even when they're doing a poor job, because you want you know you it, it's, it feels bad to take someone's livelihood away.
0: Okay, loaded question. When do you plan to retire?
1: I believe in, you know, multiple income streams. I like the idea of making money and investing that, and being able to uh, live off of investments. I don't think that's a necessarily around the corner thing, but it's certainly something that I don't think you should have to apologize for wanting to make money or wanting to be successful. So let's see. I guess I plan. I would love to retire. I don't know. Maybe. 32 now, maybe like 50. That's still 20 more years of working. That seems like a lot. So I'll I'll go with 50, although I'm sure at a time I'm 50, I'll be like, I'm not stopping now. This shit's just getting good. I'm having a great time.
0: And that's it. I'll let you get back to your apparel.
1: Okay, perfect. Thanks.
0: I hope you enjoyed my chat with Rosie. And if you did, please pass it on and maybe even write a quick review. My next guest on Don't Judge Me is former Global Chief Creative Officer of J. Walter Thompson, Matt Eastwood. I don't want to work with prima donnas or arseholes or jerks. Amen to that. And if you want to discover a few more of Matt's mantras, check out the next episode. Don't Judge Me is an eardrum production with help from Jesse Williams, Kate Wiley, Tristan Viney, Paul Taylor, David McDonald and additional scripting from Sylvie Van Dyke. Somebody get that woman a medal. Yeah, she wrote that bit too. And yes, she's my daughter. But don't judge me.